Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. guys here we are again on another monday night with the man up god's way podcast my name is jody burkeen i'm the founder of man up god's way men's ministry and the host of the man up god's way podcast and we're excited to have you guys here tonight if you'll take an opportunity just to share this podcast with your friends and anybody on social media that would be a huge help for us uh, so we can meet, reach more and more people for the sake of the gospel and for our guests we would love for you guys to to take an opportunity to share this as usual tonight, I got my producer, Mr. Fergoza, in here. How you doing, brother? What's going on, man? Yeah, you you got rid of the stash. I did get rid of the stash. We'll oh. bring it back. Uh, mixing it up a little bit. I had some auditions for some other roles. And... I, I just noticed that. I've been sitting here talking <laughs> to you for an hour, and I just noticed you didn't have that big old thick caterpillar oh. on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Way younger. Yeah. It does make you look yeah. younger there. Yeah, we were, uh, we were just talking earlier. I've been trying to grow this thing out for eight weeks and it's just it's looking raggedy no so. it's looking good i walked in i was like dude you're looking all right yeah. beard's coming in hot i did i've never been able to grow one and this first i'm 54 and i think this is the first time I, I had one a few years ago for very small time and then uh i was trying to do it again see if i can get through winter but you got to make it through i would tell everyone who starts growing because i used to have the beard down to like the chest right, right? you just got to make it through the homeless stage It'll all na- let nature take its course. Right. It'll take over. Well, I keep trimming it. No, you know, like you, I, <laughs> I, I keep going like a three and then a four and then trying to get a little bit longer. But no, you got to go until Nan, your wife says, listen, if you don't shave that thing, right. I'm going to leave you and then let it go at least four more weeks and you'll be there. Full exactly. Beard. Exactly. Well, I don't know that I got much hope anyway. I look like a dog with a mange. I got spots all over it. So uh, we'll go as long as we can. But as usual, we've got an awesome guest tonight. I'm uh, really excited about our guest tonight. And uh, as we bring him in, uh, we're going to hear about his story, his new book that's coming out, and uh, a little bit about his ministry. And uh, our guest tonight is John Smith Baker. How you doing, John? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. Man, we're so glad to have you here on the on the podcast. It's always good to, to have another brother that is uh, out there trying to help men uh, to do the best they possibly can. So excited to have you on. Oh, thanks. I, I love speaking and trying to encourage men and, and rescue the generation that's been left behind to fend for themselves. Yeah, you're exactly right. We've got a few generations out there that are struggling and we need to do a better job of reaching them. That's for sure. Amen. Amen. So, so why don't you t- start off and tell us your story uh, before we hop into the books and your ministry, but just tell us a little bit about John and uh, and how you got to where you are. You can start Start back as far as you want and uh, take as long as you want and uh, get as deep as you want. So uh, we'd love to hear your story. Amen. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, I love the long format because I usually have to do the quick version. So uh, <laughs> I got to refresh the long version now. Yeah, but, there you uh, go. <laughs> I, always tell, I always tell my guys to have a two minute, a 10 minute and a 45 minute version of your testimony ready. So amen. Amen. Um, well, uh my journey started in the womb of my mother. My dad took off uh, on his family and me when my mom was pregnant with me. Mm. And I had a three-year-old sister 
and it just threw, you know, uh, our world upside down, obviously. My dad wanted to kill me through an abortion, but my mom wouldn't wouldn't have it. And, uh, you know, it was a, just a kind of a, a, a looking back on it, when I start having memories, um, I was fairly young and I was stuck in institutional daycares because my mom had to work two and three jobs just to survive. And just growing up, just sitting by myself, wondering where everybody was. My mom, I would finally get to sleep and then my mom would pick me up around midnight when she got off the second shift and take me back home and then get us up early, take us back to daycare at 6 a.m. in the morning and life was brutal. And then that went on for so long. And then then she tried to marry a man, I think out of desperation, that uh, wasn't a very good man as a stepfather. And uh, so growing up was just hard. Uh, we were poor. I remember being hungry. Just life is chaotic. Um, my sister rebelled in many ways. She was three years older. So in their teen years, you know, drugs, running away from home, just screaming fits in the house and, and my mom just losing it and just home, but nobody there supervising, getting in fights and trouble. (laughs) It's just, I mean, now, now having raised kids, I I just, I just cannot believe the environment I was raised in. Right. Uh, you know, just uh, just the the men in and out, and um, it was just kind of chaotic. Uh, remember, my stepdad beat me up when I was a young teenager, maybe thirteen or fourteen. I finally had enough, and I told him I was going to kill him if he did it again, and I meant it. Mm. And uh, and I just remember looking at my mom and say, you know, how how can you allow this to happen? You know, wow. and uh, but my mom, you know, single moms make a lot of a lot of questionable decisions based out of desperation. And uh, my mom was no different. Strong, good, good mother as best she could while she was around. And uh, so my sister, uh, now that I understand the fatherless issue more, my sister rebelled uh, at the situation and wanted to world the world to know what a raw deal she got. And she wanted the world to pay and see her pain. And that's what 85% of the fatherless children do. They rebel and you see that demonstrated in our society now right Uh, the the other 15 percent are like me where we try and we make the decision to try and earn our father's affection and return and uh, so we become extra ultra achievers overachievers try to become perfectionists and and all those things and try to be the good kid and uh and so that's the route i took and was very good at it in sports and school and and carried on to my career and owning businesses and being CEO of a large business and making more money than I ever thought I would as a kid. And, um, um, and, uh, just living a good life, married my, my high school sweetheart. And, uh, just the other day we celebrated our 33rd year of marriage. Praise God. Awesome. Praise God. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, just really living a good life. And, um, and then, uh, you know, just being honest, looking back, I was on the road to divorce because I put myself and my career, my aspirations, my hobbies, my selfishness all above, uh, her and, and the children. And, uh, 
So I'm so thankful when God reached down and and plucked me out of the pit of hell. And uh, it was when I was 40 years old, uh, just had turned 40, and uh, had a road to Damascus experience, going fishing in Wyoming on the Green River, meeting the one man that stood up in my life. His name was Uncle Bucky. And uh, scrambling after work, you know, most men know, scrambling after work, trying to get out there is, you know, four or five hour drive. And so it was late at night, close to midnight. And I felt this overwhelming sensation and I uh, pulled my truck off the side of the road in the dark, lonely highway and got on my hands and knees and saw all my horrible sins flash before me. Mm. And, uh, and I, I was begging for forgiveness through tears and just knowing that I was a dirty, rotten sinner. And uh, I thought I was done, but then I heard my my heavenly father share with me that I needed to now forgive my earthly father for abandoning me and us. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, sharing that, you know, every father's boy, every father's daughter, they tell themselves multiple times a day that I'm never, ever going to forgive them. Mm. Because in our heart, we we view it as the unforgivable sin. And uh, when I heard the Heavenly Father say that me, obviously confronted with his holiness and understanding now how deeply I've received mercy and forgiveness, uh, I relented and repented. And and that's when I felt a rush over my body. That's when I knew I was born again. I was adopted son, redeemed son of the Most High God, Heavenly Father. And, 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 and that's really where my life began as I really look at it. And... Uh, I went back and and uh, wrote a letter to my dad, a forgiveness letter, and told him that what he did mattered greatly in my life and was wrong. Uh, but through the power of Christ uh, and his forgiveness in my life, that I've forgiven him and mm-hmm. that I'd like to share the gospel with him since we've had no time on earth that maybe we could spend forever together. Wow. And, how, and when was this? What year? That was... That was 2002 okay and so you had you had no contact with your father in those well days. i would i would say very little um he started coming back to my life in high school when i was excelling in sports and um it was very awkward he just lived across town um my mom had to put him in jail for not paying child support and there was a very adversarial relationship there and right and it was just, it was just a mess. You know what I mean? Many times he would, you know, finally pick my sister and up and I up to take him to his new house, his new family. And, and then he would just drop us off and go play golf, you mm. know? And it was just brutal. Um, just brutal. And uh, just emotionally and psychologically. And just, it just drove that wound, that fatherless wound just deep down inside. And, uh, so praise God, you know, what Satan meant for evil, God used it for good. And, right. and now I'm thankful I went through that experience, believe it or not. And uh, because now I can I, I can speak into boys' life. I get them. I understand them. Uh, through my journey, the curriculum that we use to intentionally address their father wound through the ministry, Fathers in the Field, we, we see an unbelievable impact because we're speaking them 
in a father's boy language so they can hear the gospel. Because mm, I know what they need. Right. I know exactly. what they need to hear. And society doesn't. And I'll give you right. an example. I mean, all grown up to my life, well-meaning people, but they would say, you'll be okay. You don't need a dad. Big boys don't cry. Mm. And, and that's just the opposites because the, these boys say, well, then what's wrong with me? Because I know something's wrong. Right. So they internalize it and, they, and then they stuff it way deep down inside. And it's a festering wound that controls their whole emotions, their whole life, all their behaviors. And, and what we say in the ministry is what your dad is terribly wrong matters greatly in your life. But through the power of Christ, you can be the man God intended you to be. There's mm. victory and uh, through the cross and uh it's just remarkable when even you say that they they're shaken because it's just the opposite of what they've heard in in all their young lives already right so it's just mm -hmm. awesome but uh and then shortly after there we can all you know i'll stop talking here but shortly after there yeah. i saw on the bathroom wall the master ba bathroom wall for my bedroom the words fathers in the field and I distinctly remember God calling me into full-time ministry to give up my career, all the money I was making, and go into full-time ministry. And I dragged my feet for a couple of years, and he finally got my attention and and uh, and off to the races with fathers in the field. Wow, that is awesome. So let's go back to the letter to your father. Did, yeah. that, did that make an impact at all? Well, it, it made a great impact on me. Okay. Because that's the one thing we do in the ministry that people say, well, how do I, how, how do I know I forgave my father? Right. And, and I say, well, there's two things. Have you put it in writing to make it public? And right. share it. That's good. Yeah. And then secondly, are you praying for his salvation? Mm. Because we're supposed to pray for enemies. Those right. are two things, you know, because once you honestly, truly forgive, then you can do those things. And, mm. uh, most men say, well, I don't, you know, you know, I've moved on. And those are all indications they haven't forgiven them. And, right, exactly. And <laughs> right. That's that's starting the conversation of man enough to forgive. And the, the outpouring of that book, speaking to adult men, these walking wounded men. Right. Who are just, you know, these boys have never dealt with this now in manhood. And mm. so that but to answer your question, my father responded, blamed my mom, took no responsibility, you know. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the Adam's excuses, the curse happening all again, all over again. It was and, her fault. <laughs> <laughs> that was her. It was that woman yeah. you gave me. And, exactly. uh, and, uh, so I, I made an effort to, um, go see him to share the gospel face to face. And I did praise God. I'm so thankful I did shortly after that, he contracted cancer and died and, I didn't even go to see him in the hospital or had his service or whatever. Cause I, I, as I've told people, all my tears were cried. I had zero emotional attachment, right. basically, basically a stranger dying, you know what I mean? So, right. and yeah, but it, it's sad. So who knows, you know, I hold a glimmer of hope that, uh, uh, God saved him when he was in the hospital for a month, dying in hospice, dying of dying of cancer and maybe right. God saved him. So who knows? Well, we, we serve a just God and, um, whatever he decides is, uh, is the Amen. right thing, you know, Amen. Yep. you can say, I love, I love what you're, you're, you're pointing at is forgiveness. You know, unfortunately, most Christians, especially don't even understand that 
forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for yourself. Amen. It's, it's not, it's not that you're just trying to, you know, give them forgiveness so they can be okay. Like majority of the time when like for your, like for your dad, when you wrote that, he probably thought, well, I don't have anything to forgive. And why is he, why is he forgiving me? You know, he, he hadn't thought twice about you since, yeah. you know, since the day that he left. And that's, that's usually what happens when people are offended or mad at you or you're, you're, you're not giving that forgiveness. And those people haven't thought twice about you most of the time. And, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking acid and hoping the other person dies. All it does is eat you up from the inside. And I love what you're doing with, with these, with these boys and with these men is that, you know, you're trying to get them past the point of blaming their father for the, either the way that they're acting or uh, not having the true relationship with God, the father uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. And a lot of times you can't do that until you do give that forgiveness out. And I love the way that you're leading in that direction. That that's a, a it's awesome way to, to get to their hearts. Amen. Well, you know, obviously the father son relationship is the foundation of the world. And, mm -hmm. and, and so when the cup is broken, there's always consequences and, right. um, and they have to be dealt with. And, and, you know, secondarily, you know, forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we get to share this concept of forgiveness with, with, we call them field buddies, these fatherless boys. And, uh, you know, the ministry is an, is not a parachurch ministry. So we go through the local church and we get godly men raised up as mentor fathers and the, the pastor approves them. And they go through all their background checks and all that, but they, they're spiritually mature men in good standing in the church. And they, and they make a three year, one year at a time and intentional commitment to these boys' lives. Mm. It's, it's not for lunch. It's, 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 it, you know, it's a mentor father relationship. It's not a, a, a brother. It's not an uncle. It's a mentor father relationship. Right. And that's what they need. And, you know, the, the, the journey these boys take is profound and three years are so necessary because the first year these boys, they're not even, they're not even listening to this mentor father. They right. can care less what he says. In fact, I know they think that this man is a liar. Mm. And so it's yes is not like a regular, yes. it's like a regular father son relationship. Yeah, I wouldn't know, but, uh, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you know, so there's, there's because the average fatherless boy feels gets abandoned seven times before he's mm -hmm. 18. Mm. it's not just the one abandonment right. so many men have come in and out of their lives that have promised them thing and then left they've had boyfriends come into their home where they start calling them daddy and mm. then the boyfriend leaves multiple times right. or or second marriages with children have a very high divorce rate over 75 percent right so they had a stepdad they called dad took his name and then he and they got divorced or he right. had grandpa step up in his life and then the Lord took him home or right. whatever. So the, 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 the abandonment wound is deep for these boys. Mm -hmm. So they have these, these calluses around the heart and they, they're not even listening. They don't even want to listen to a man because they don't want to develop any level of trust or commitment or intimacy because they don't want to be hurt again. Right. Compounded with the fact they think he's a liar. 
So mm. really the first year, I mean, this is all what we do through the local church and how we coach them and train them, and equip them to handle this mentoring relationship well and how to interact with the, the single mom situation and all that. So, so not to cut you off real quick. Yeah. So, so you, you go to a local church and then you've find guys and you vet them out to, to, to be these, these guys through along with the local pastor. Well, yeah, what, what we do, and how we, long, how long does that process take? Well, sadly, the, the, because we're not a parachurch ministry, sadly, many churches are like corporations and we, we won't do the ministry there until we sit down and have an hour meeting with the senior pastor and get his commitment. Hmm. Because what we do is we challenge him to raise the potential mentor fathers in their church, that he is to challenge men, call men, affirm men to be mentor fathers. We don't know these men. So, right. so we come alongside the pastor and get him not to be a beta male, but be an alpha male and call and finally call and challenge his men that right. are sitting in his pews wondering what the heck's going on. Mm. How can I serve? You know, so we get to liberate men from the chair stacking ministry and the parking lot ministry. We get to liberate them, put That's them to awesome. work in God's God's kingdom battle. That's but once awesome. these men get identified, get approved, get approved by the pastor, then we train them to be good mentor fathers. Okay. And I should back up a little bit that we, we help the pastor. We're not asking the pastor to do more work. We, we come alongside them and help him raise a lay-led team of church champions, we call it. And they're the ones that run the ministry within the church with, with right. certainly the oversight of the pastor. And we train them to be good good church champions and they get these mentor fathers approved. And then we sadly, we have to teach them how to go find these, these widows of our time, these desperate single moms and, and how to interview them, make sure they're a good fit for the ministry. But once all that's done, then the mentor father gets to be paired with the field buddy. We have a celebration event, which is basically a marriage union in a way it's a covenant, a signing covenant where the mentor father gets to look the field buddy in the eye and say, listen, it's me and you on this forgiveness journey. I'm committing to you for this next year, overall three years, but there's going to be a start and finish to this year. And those start and finish to those three years are so important because that's the beginning of the healing journey because right. see a man put his commitment in writing and then fulfill it. Mm. See a man put his word into action in on paper and then fulfill it. But that is so important in that, in that psychological healing process, spiritually then, after this first year, the mentor father then starts to be able to speak life into this boy because the boy finally understands this man is going to stick around and live up to his commitment. That's right. strong. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And about the second year, I'll just share this, about the second year, because the curriculum allows the mentor father just to be in his comfort zone. We go mm -hmm. through the church. The church teaches the doctrine. Fathers and field through our curriculum, we intentionally dress the father wound. All the mentor father has to do is live up to his commitments and share his love of the heavenly father. So these men, it really takes all the worry off these men. They can right. be the hero in this relationship. And so what is this man committing to? Like, is it a yeah. weekly meeting? Is it bi-weekly? Yeah. Like, what is yeah. that? There's four, there's four commitments that everybody's making, the church, the single mom, the field buddy, we call them field buddies, the field mm -hmm. buddy, and the mentor father. They agree to go to Sunday school and church two out of the four Sundays. 
you know, if a mentor father is not going to church two out of the four Sundays, you shouldn't be a mentor father. You should be in the, be <laughs> in the program anyway. Yeah, exactly. And then they do a, a, a local mercy ministry project once a month to widows, elderly, single moms. And, uh, and then they commit to do the journey talk, we call it, and they go through the curriculum. And then they progressively plan for their end of year celebration event. So say mm -hmm. they're going deer hunting. Then okay. they learn about whitetail deers or mule deers. They learn how to shoot a, a rifle. They learn how to skin and butcher. And they learn how to, you know, camp, start a fire, whatever. And um, so every month they progressively plan for that, that multi-day celebration event. And part of that celebration event is where the mentor father gets to present a photo album with the year-long memories of their time mm -hmm. together and and really do a rite of passage celebration affirmation event and speak life into this boy and then they get to do that two more times wow. and the first year curriculum is based on the lord's prayer and if you think about it what mm -hmm. a huge hurdle for a father's boy our yeah. father mm -hmm. and then and then so we, we, we use that. We have a, the curriculum is based around, I call it the fathers in the field compass. Um, since this is a long format, I can get in these details, but Heck yeah, we want the uh, details. But the, the compass, the N stands for another fa never fatherless. S stands for saved by the son. East is eternal home. West is wisdom of the father. So the mm. curriculum is based around that. That's and good. Uh, yeah, it's just awesome. But the second year curriculum is based on the 10 commandments. And it's just not about thou shalt nots, but it's also the life giving part of the 10 commandments. But if you, th again, you think about it from perspective of a father's boy, you know, honor the father and mother, huge hurdle for him to understand right. what God is saying. And then mm -hmm. the life issue, like most of them understand they, they've seen abortion by their mom in their family. They, they, they understand the life issue. Thou shalt not murder is a huge one. So they've seen all kinds of issues in their life between stealing and slander and all kinds of stuff. So it, it's a wonderful opportunity to speak life into them. And then the third year is called the forgiveness letter. And that's where we break out, break down the forgiveness letter. And we walk through the concept of a forgiveness letter. We don't make them do one. We, but we break it all down. So when they're ready to do one, if God saves them and they're ready to do it, they know how to do it. Because mm -hmm. what I experienced in my journey, the hardest thing of the letter is how do you how do you address your dad? Do you say, dear dad? Mm -hmm. Do you say, dear father? Do you say, dear abandoner? Dear jerk? Dear SOB? Dear whatever? Mm -hmm. Dear I hate you? So we, we talk about all these issues. And so we get to understand the biblical concept. And then... That's the, that's the three years. And, but the second year, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but the second uh, year is when the mentor father and the curriculum walks him through this, he gets to say, Hey son, Jimmy, I, I got something very important to tell you. And, and the field buddy will say, yeah, what's that? Hmm. And let's not, let's not gloss over that. Mm -hmm. If you remember these boys who care less what a man has to say for 12 years or for 12 months. Right. So when he says, yeah, what's that? 
that's a beautiful progress in his willingness to hear what this man has to say. And they all say it. And the mentor father can say, you need to forgive your earthly father for abandoning you. Mm. See, this is the first time any man, especially a man they care about now that, or they trust that they understand that he's committed, that they, this man gets the deepest of wound inside of them, the deepest of sin inside of them. Mm. And they all say the same thing. This is awesome. Gives me goosebumps to this day. They all say the same thing. I'm never, ever going to forgive him. Mm. And they write it in their journal all the time. We have lots of copies of it. They write it in their journal. But they ask the most grace-filled words a father's boy can ask a mentor father. Because they're ready to learn. Mm. They respond and they say, but why should I? That's good. And the mentor father gets to share the gospel that we've translated into a father's boy language to penetrate it. It's no different going to Africa and translating it into a language somebody can understand. These false boys can understand what we've done. And the mentor father's going to say, son, because you need to be forgiven too. Mm. Now they've heard the gospel. Wow. Now they've heard. Now they understand they're not just the victim, but they're also a sinner. Mm. Sinner needs, needs forgiveness. And that's, that's really when the mentoring discipleship relationship takes off at that point because they have heard the gospel. And now from that point on, we get to walk them through life and sharing the gospel in a step-by-step process where they can now have building blocks to understand that I'm a sinner right. and I need forgiveness. Mm. And it's just a beautiful thing. So, wow. yeah, that is, that's gorgeous. Actually. I love, love hearing that. Yeah. So, so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm parsing this out as we're going through it. So you've got a commitment from these guys and um, are they typically fathers, fathers that have kids or are they, their kids are grown or are they trying to bring them into the mix uh, in another, you know, kind of a secondary question, what happens if another father comes into the into play during this time? And um, and then I'll ask my third question after you ask those two questions. Okay. Yeah, great questions. Um, so here, here's 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 the deal that when when we train the church, we have a thing called a single mom interview. Right. We bring the single mom and say, here's the deal. This is how the ministry works. These are the commitments, yada, yada, yada. What is the situation at home? Well, I don't, I mean, boyfriends, who who has legal custody of the boy? What's the situation with his biological father? You name it. Because last thing we want to do is get in the way of a biological father making an effort. Okay. So, right. so, so we, we don't do that. Um, you know, even if it's two days a month legally or whatever else, I feel sorry for that boy, but we still don't get in, in the way of that dad making an effort. Right. 
So we make sure that's right. Secondly, we say part of your commitment, mom, is there's no boyfriends living in the home, no dads, no marriage. And, and, and throughout this commitment, are you willing to make that commitment, single mom? And that's probably wow. part of what she's committing to and writing in front of her son. Okay. I got to say, that's probably pretty hard for some single moms to commit to because I know the, the pull for, you know, companionship slash stabilization, like, the, you know, they're wanting to fix the problem themselves. If it looks like I'm looking this way, you're on a big TV over here. So <laughs> <laughs> they're wanting to fix that problem. Do you get a lot of pushback in that area? No, because most of them have been through multiple men and they understand it's, it's fleeting. Right. And that's huge. We, we, we were able to minister to these single moms because we have female church champions that are able to come alongside and minister to them. We say, listen, if, if, if you do this, you will hurt your son because you're now breaking a commitment to him just like his father did. Mm. So we hammer this point. Do moms still break it? Sadly, yes. The, right. the number one reason why these boys don't finish three years is 99.9% because of the transient nature of single moms. Hmm. They're desperate. They, they move across the country to go live back with mom. They find a boyfriend that's going to be the new savior. Right. It, it never works out. We've had plenty of boys come back into the ministry because that latest boyfriend just didn't work out. Right. So mm. it's not gotcha. perfect, but we, cause we live in a broken world, but we, we do hammer that. So, so that right. is awesome. You know what I mean? And, um, um, the other thing is who, who are these mentor fathers? Um, it's all across the board in age in marriage situation, children's situation. And I'll just give you a practical example is when I, when God saved me and I started the ministry, you know, I've been a mentor father a couple times now. And um, I sat my children down and said, kids, you know, I'm doing the ministry of fathers in the field. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, but I want to be a mentor father. So here's what I'm going to ask. Will you tithe to the Lord a little bit of my time with you to the kingdom so I can invest in this father's boy? Mm. And would you pray about this next week? And would you come back and let me know your answer? And obviously they all come back because my kids are very compliant, like most biblically raised kids are. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. At least when they're younger. Yeah. And, then, uh, and but it but in my situation, it was the best way to share the gospel in our home that after a little while, when this false boy started coming to have breakfast with us before Sunday, before we left for church, mm. they would see us having prayer us going to church, how I hugged and treated and talked to my, my wife, how I hugged and treated my children and how I spoke to them words of life. And, and these, my children got to hear the stories of them being hungry and, and them being confused and angry and getting into trouble. And my, my kids would just say, so they see the value of the family and fatherhood and motherhood. So it's the best way to share the gospel in my family. And it, it's just profound. So it's a frequently asked question, you know, what about my kids? But 
Our, our answer is just what I just told you. It is a great right. way because we're not asking you to spend a lot of time. You're already going to church throughout the four Sundays. You're already doing something fun, whatever you like to do your hobby anyways. We're just asking you to bring a father's boy along. Mm. So you do a service project once a month for an hour. You know, Now, if, if they want to do more than those commitments, that's great. They want to go to the ball game, go have lunch, bring the father's boy over to help mow the lawn or whatever else. That's great. A lot of them do. And, uh, but so those, hopefully that answered those two questions for you. It did. It sure did. So my third question is, so what happens after three years, let's say a child, um, and a, a mentor or father, you know, make it through their commitment through three years, what happens at the end of that third year? Yeah, it, it's a great question. You know, the average age of probably of our field buddies is probably around eight or nine, okay. um, we say seven to 17. So, you know, if they start at 14 and they go to 17, they're, they're not interested in doing it again. They're right. adults, you know, they're, they've moved on. If they started seven and they're, now they're 10, typically right. what happens is they, they repeat that three-year commitment. Okay. Because the reading comprehension he's young. And so if, if, Mentor father and the field buddy are all about doing it again. They most of them, ninety five percent of them, just recommit for another three years. Okay, and, good. Uh, yeah, it's a great question because people say, "Well, you know, at the three years, I mean, aren't you abandoning them again or whatever else?" But that's that's the unique thing about fathers in the field. We make it very clear, and these boys know this because it's all about expectations and commitment. That this is a mentoring relationship, right? With a start and an end, they get it. Mm. They get it. They're not, they may, you know, they may hope and wish, but they're not hurt. And, and that's the key because they get it. And so, you know, we get the opportunity to minister them, explain something between a mentor relationship, discipling, if they want to continue to friendship or you name it, because a friendship is a two-way street. Mentorship is where everyone makes a commitment. So they right. get it. So that's typically what happens. Mm. Mm, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That is great. So how many churches do you think you have um, moving? We're in over 500 at this point. Um, you know, we average about six mentor fathers in a church. Now we have everything from one mentor father to 25, over 25 in a church, you know, it's on average wow. it varies, you know, it's wow. a, it, it, it varies and it changes every day. You know, our, our prayers, we get to reach and rescue one more father's boy every single day. And, mm. and that's what's happening. And wow. um, it's just awesome. It's just awesome. That is great. That is great. I love to hear that. That What a, what a great program. I was just going through, I'm a pastor too. And I was just trying to go through my church and I'm thinking, I think there are two, two women currently that, um, that are single. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a church about 200 and yeah. it would, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's more of a family, you know, 25 ish to like, I'm the old man in the church. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of that range. Uh, yeah. but I was well, sitting here trying to think of all the guys that needed to, how would we, how would we even reach, uh, some more single women if that were the case? So I do. Well, when you get started, mm -hmm. when you get started, this, the real sad part of it, you know, the, the single moms, which I believe are the widows of our time, that and 
God was the angriest at his people over this issue. As mm. you read scripture, he's the, he's the angriest at them. When, when they gave lip service to the fallest and widows and they actually used them to raise money or whatever else. And, um, and so it's a dire warning. It's mentioned over 118 times in the Bible next to the gospel. To me, this is the number one issue that God wants a, a, a local church to be doing. And if you put it in perspective, um, this demographic, this single mom demographic is the largest unchurched people group in America now. No kidding. Largest unchurched people group in America. Wow. Even if they wanted to come to church, the single moms, vast, vast, almost all of them are working the service jobs on the weekends, two and three jobs, they can't come. Or Sunday is the one day they have off that they have to do all their chores, help the kids, spend some time with them. They're not, they're not in the church. Hmm. so part of what we have to do is come along wow. coach and train and equip these churches to go out into the community and find them and hmm. once once that single mom network starts connecting you'll have the sad reality of the ministry is you always have more fatherless boys than you have mentor fathers hmm. that stinks yeah yeah but but it's the one being a type A personality, always success based, solve a problem based. Right. I, it, and you might get this as a pastor, but God had to help me understand the brokenness of this world. Right. And so it did not drive me crazy that he said to me, John, you can't help everybody. Right. Yeah. You can't help and everybody. Gosh, it, it just, can't help it's, everybody. Like, it's like, oh, I just wish I could help everybody. You know, no, it's like, I'm not Jesus. Right. That's no, what he's he, telling me. I'm not Jesus. Right. And, and to how many pastors, how many ministry leaders abandon their first ministry that God wants them to do, their family, right. mm -hmm. because they think they're Jesus. Right. And they're going to stay at church longer, do more. And and they and they neglect their first ministry, their right? Family. So yeah, it's first, a brutal thing. God taught me that, and it's just powerful. I've been my I've been with my wife thirty five years. Matter of fact, this month, and uh, we've been married thirty thirty three years. Oh, praise God! And uh, um, the very first time we ever talked about divorce was after I gave my life to the Lord in two thousand three, and all the times that I was drunk and strip clubs and all this time prior, we were married 12 years before we met Christ. And, um, the very first time she ever brought up divorce was when I got called to the ministry and I started preaching and teaching, but I was not living out what I was preaching and teaching at home. And like it, I had to pull back out of the ministry, redirect and focus number one on my family first. And that, um, that about destroyed my marriage from that. And I think a lot of men miss that big time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Listen, I mean, you know this too now. I mean, once you put both feet in the ministry world, the devil's yeah. coming after you. You're exactly right. You're in the game. You're in the battle. You're on the front lines. You're fact, in fact, you're probably behind enemy lines. The devil yeah. is coming at you. Amen. And, and you have to be prepared. And uh, you have to remain strong in the order that God put in place.
your first ministry, I don't care what kind of ministry leader, pastor you are, is your family. Right. Mm, that's good. And if that's you're going to spend all this extra time in ministry, you either have a Jesus complex or you're a people pleaser and both of them need to be crucified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. That's very good. I'm sorry. I can't help everybody. No, I know that that breaks my heart. You know, we can't and and we can't. It's like when I when I sit up on the pulpit and I'm I, I'm teaching this stuff and I just see these blank faces going out there and I, you know, some days it's just a bad day, but a lot of times it's just people just don't get it and you you can't make them believe it. You can't make them, you can't take them to the water and make them drink. You know, no. it's, uh, it's so, it's just like, oh my gosh, if you just knew, if you could just dive into the word, if you could just fully immerse yourself into the Holy spirit, your life would be completely different. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. We can't help everybody. All we, all we're doing is we're, we're called to, to follow the commands that we possibly can. And, um, you know, and, and obey what we're supposed to do and God Amen. will take care of the rest. So, Amen. well, the reality is most of us, that's where we want to get our identity about our performance and, mm -hmm. and how we're doing and how people make us feel and the compliments we get and all that garbage. And it's just not, it's just not biblical. And right. I, I, the reason I can speak to this, cause I spent my whole life doing this and, and God has just really transformed me. And, you know, my favorite brother in the Lord, my favorite prophet is Jeremiah now. And because right. he healed me of the performance-based perspective, mm. even in ministry, that, right. listen, we're just called as ministers of the God's word and doing his work to just faithfully go to the wall every day. Mm. We're not promised fruit. We're not promised response. We're not promised conversions. Nothing. Right. And he, for 40 years, went when he knew in advance he wasn't even going to get anybody. <laughs> so so it, it is it has been the most wonderful transformation and, and realization that our performance in this broken world that's not our home has nothing to do with our identity, has mm. nothing to do with our value. If you don't see one person come to Christ as a pastor, if I don't see one father's boy come to Christ or whatever, it doesn't matter. That's not why you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You hear the words because you faithfully, obediently went to the wall every day. Mm, that's, that's what we're called to do. And mm. if more people get that, they they would be less people pleasers. They would be they would share the gospel more bold and because it doesn't matter what people say. Right. It doesn't mm, matter. Good. It doesn't matter if they give you a compliment or they give you a curse. It doesn't matter. Mm, well, we don't good. absorb any of it. Right. Either way. No, one, that's you, one gives you a big head. I mean, wh wh why do we want any of it? Right. Oh, and, that's good. Yeah. That's I mean, good. it's just, but ministry, I mean, I don't know, but you know, I'm not a pastor, but being in ministry, you have people want to give you money and say, I want this, this, and this. And I, I'm so thankful. I said, I don't want your money. I can't, right. I can't guarantee anything. Yep. I can't even guarantee I'm going to be alive tomorrow. What, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. What are you talking about? I right. don't want conditional money. God doesn't work that way. Right. It, it just, it's, but that, that relief or, you know, that 
people say, what about the girls? And I right. used to get defensive right. you know what I mean? early on. And, and that was just a pride issue because the way I received it is I wasn't doing enough. Right. That's the way I received it. But then God said, well, why are you getting so upset? Right. So now God gave me the answer. I said, if God put the girls on your heart, you go do something. Right. God called me to this. I heard his voice. This is what right. I do. If God put, don't tell me if God put the girls on your heart, you go do it. If God right. put a jail ministry, you go do that. If God put a foster ministry, you go do that. Right. This is what God's called me to do. That's good. It's, it's like awesome. that. Story. It's Have awesome. you ever heard that? You ever heard that story about uh, the the guy at the bottom of the hill with the wheelbarrow and God's telling him, I want you to take this rock to the top of the hill and I want you to meet me there in three days. And uh, the guy's got the wheelbarrow and he goes up and uh, all of a sudden this guy is, you know, this other guy's trying to get his few rocks up the hill. And he's like, man, I just, I'm having troubles trying to get this up the hill. And the guy with the one rock's like, well, you can throw one of those over here and I can help you. And I'll just meet you at the top of the hill. I'm moving a little bit faster. And, goes around, you know, gets around the other side of the hill and somebody else has dropped their few rocks and he helps them get their rocks. And by the time he gets there, it's like four days later. And God's like, well, I told you to be here in three days. And he's like, well, you, you put all this in my, in my way. You know, you, you're asking me to help everybody that's coming up there. He goes, the only thing I asked you to do is get your rock up here in three days. I didn't ask you to stop and help everybody else, you know, help them get their rocks. And I think that's what we do in ministry a lot of times, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, um, even here at man up, what we, what we've, we've got a, a vision and a mission, but yet we, me, especially I'm thinking, okay, well, how can I help the fatherless kids all of a sudden, you know, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that at all, but I'm going, okay, well, how can I hook up with John and we do this and that? And it's like, hold on, Jody, that wasn't your calling. That's John's calling, you know, make sure that you don't step into that. Not saying that, I couldn't have you come to our church and we oh, do yeah, some stuff. Church, church you know what I'm saying? It's like all yeah. of a sudden in my, in my mind, I'm going, okay, how can we do this? And, you know, we're, we're really geared toward, you know, getting a Christian man to get off the proverbial back row and actually become the man that God has called him to be. Which ironically, if you were successful on a very large scale would fix that other problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the uh, problem. Yeah, exactly. it's, yeah. it's interesting to be, you know, I can, I can sit here and I can say, you know, for the last two years, I've watched Jody pursue his ministry at the same time, visit with individuals who are also pursuing their ministry. And it's the difficulty is every week we interview someone or, or hear another story that is so compelling. It's like, God, what are we even, what doing? We doing? Yeah, exactly. what are we even doing here? Right. Uh, but the reminder of, okay, we are called to this. Right. We are called to a different, you know, a different thing. And doing this gives a spotlight to guests that we have on yeah, exactly. and, and it allows them, Amen. you know, without taking that rock and put it in our wheelbarrow, it allows you to right. progress your rock up that hill. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Amen. Amen. Well, that's Amen. impressive, John. We're, we're, we'll be praying for that side of your ministry. So now into your book, um, man enough to forgive. Um, this book just came out in September. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, writing, writing is not my sweet spot. So it's very arduous, very draining, but it, it took a couple of years, but I, I finally finished it and I'm so excited because it, it's, it's desperately needed. Praise God. Praise God. So, so let's go back to the two years ago. What, 
number one, what made you write your book and, uh, and what was that process like? Yeah. Well, you know, just, just going to the faithfully going to the wall every day, trying to help the fatherless boys out there in the local church to mobilize their men to do kingdom work. And, and, you know, the largest underutilized assets sitting in church are godly men and, uh, believe in the church has left them behind and the over feminization of the church and all that. But I, I got to develop good relationship with so many pastors because, you know, as you know, pastors don't have a lot of people to talk to. They're even kind of nervous to talk to their elders, you know, if they're struggling. And uh, so, you know, just happened to be a good ear. And then just them seeing their, the, what I believe is miraculous impact on these broken boys, hurting boys. And they, so many started coming to me and say, John, we see the good work that's happening in these boys and how you're mobilizing these men. But we, we have so many more men in our church that are on the sidelines. And the church is being overwhelmed with the symptoms of fatherlessness. Everything in workaholicism, addictions, pornography, divorce, depression, you name it. From women and men, they're being overwhelmed with the symptoms of it. And they said, we need help with these men. Because, listen, most pastors know, like me, men are the problem and men are the answers. And, and we have got to get men off the sidelines, out of injured, reserved, out of most of them are POWs that Satan's holding captive. And they can't join the righteous battle that's going on right? because they're handicapped. And. Because, and what I believe is now that we have a generational fatherlessness, most of these men have a father wound. And they don't have to be abandoned. A lot of them are. They, divorce is fatherhood abandonment. So right. if you'll notice on man enough to forgive, and this is not taught well in churches, in my opinion, because now they know they're going to piss off 50% of the congregation because 50% of them are divorced. Right, exactly. And they don't, so they're afraid of it. So that, listen, when, whenever divorce happens, the kids view themselves as fatherless because you cannot fulfill God's fatherhood roles of pastor, provider, and protector unless you're in the home. Mm. It's right. a lie that you can do it from a distance. Right. I'm not talking about do you love your children? Can you fulfill God's biblical roles for godly fatherhood? No, you can't mm. if you're not in the home. You can't protect them. Right. You can't do fulfill Deuteronomy 6 every day when you're walking. You're not there. You right. can't pastor them. You can't shepherd them. You can't protect them. Most of them need to provide for them. And provide is just not financial. Provide right. is teaching them how to be a man, teaching them skills, teaching them work ethic. That's all providing. So this lie that divorce, you can have, you know, there's no consequences to divorce. No, it's not true. God hates divorce. Yeah, we live in a broken world. But listen, if we really cared about these fathers, children in their wound, we would look at the world through their eyes. Right. Not the defensiveness of adult eyes. Mm, that's where good. they pretend like people did with me that it's okay no right. it's not no yeah. it's not what kids need to hear is i'm sorry i blew up your world 
You have a right to be angry. You have a right to be hurt. You have a right to be confused. I get it. And I'm sorry as a parent. Divorce creates fatherhood wounds. And so man enough to forgive, the church being overwhelmed. So it doesn't have to be abandonment. If you look at that, and then you have bad fathers in the home who are alcoholic. So you're talking about 80% of the children in this world have a fatherhood wound. Right. So man enough to forgive comes along. And the, and the big issue is their unforgiveness of their father. And it's different than unforgiveness of a mother. A mother right. plays a crucial role. But a father, I don't care what this culture says. I don't care what, what these crazy churches say. A father is the pastor, provider, and protector. And when those roles aren't fulfilled, there are severe consequences. If not, God's a liar. His right. plan is perfect. Whenever a perfect plan is broken, there's consequences. And instead of ignoring these children and shuffling them along by platitudes, you're okay, big boys don't cry, you'll get over it is what pushes that wound deep down inside them. And that's where the addictions, the workaholicism, the identity issues, homosexuality, effeminism, passivity, all those issues are born because of a father wound. Mm. And that has that's to be addressed. Yeah. And listen, once you're a believer, we're assuming these people are believers in the church. God makes it very clear that unforgiveness is a sin. It's a sin. He calls believers to forgive as Christ forgave us. That's unearned, unmerited, undeserved grace and mercy and forgiving that person. You're by the we are we the Bible makes it clear we're we're turning over a violator to God for restitution or redemption. It's up to God. I love I love that you started off with your uh, fathers in the field. The first year was the Lord's Prayer, because in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us of our trespasses. as We forgive others of their trespasses. So the question which should be asked is, do I really want God to forgive me like I forgive others? Like, right. Right. <laughs> am right. I am I is that really the, the deal I want to make with God? No, I don't. You know, because there are days that I, I may not forgive others as I should. And um we have to get past that point of of that pride in our lives and our hurt that's that's caused us to be able to forgive. And uh, again, it's it's healing us. It's not necessarily healing the other person. Amen. Listen, we we're at war with our flesh every day, and mm -hmm. our flesh rebels at the concept of unmerited forgiveness. Yeah. We, our flesh wants justice. Our flesh wants an apology. Our flesh wants a public display that that person wronged me. That mm. our flesh wants payment. Our flesh, our flesh wants our debt paid. Right. Plus, our flesh wants a pound of flesh. Mm. Listen, th this is a crucial issue. So all these men, women too, but all these men are sidelined. They cannot fulfill God's role in their life because they have broken fellowship with the Heavenly Father because of their unrepented sin in their life. Mm, that's good. People say, I want to make it. I, this is not a works-based salvation where you have to forgive. Dirt. Listen, you, you, God needs to forgive you for salvation. But once you're a believer, once you're a believer, 
forgiveness is mandated, called upon, and God gives severe warnings for believers who do not. So what's the consequence for a believer not forgiving? You have broken fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Right. What does that mean? Well, that means you grieve the Holy Spirit. God warns that he's probably not even listening to your prayers. Think about that. Yeah. You've been a Christian for 20 years and you've been praying and God said, hey, my face has even shined on you, pal. Right. I'm not even listening to your prayers. Mm -hmm. You're in time out. Right, exactly. <laughs> you're on reserve. You're, right. you're held captive. They have a, they have a mask on your face. Mm. So listen, this is serious business. It is. It's yep. serious yeah. business. Very. And, and listen, I, men need to be held account. Men and women need to be held account for this issue. There mm. is only one unforgivable sin. And that right. is unbelief. Right. So I don't care what people say. That is what's going on because you you can you cannot fulfill God's role, but through forgiveness, you can be the man God intended you to be. Mm, that's good. And and that is that is what's going on. I believe. I honestly believe that. When I talk to men, hey, you, oh, I've moved on. Well, that's just <laughs> a lie. I'm fine. That's a lie because right. you're God. You're calling God a liar. You're not fine. You're not fine yeah and listen men men were born to be challenged they need to be challenged on this issue men were born for a great missional purpose that's what they god made men for masculinity is a gift to the world it's a gift to women it's a gift to children it's a right. gift to society i don't care what the world says if you get a lot of emails i, I don't care bring them on <laughs> no, but listen this our, is, our, this is the issue of our day. Right. The barbarians are at the gate. Amen. We need more men off the sidelines to help the men that are engaged in the battle to charge the gate. Mm. we got to withhold the barbarians or they're going to come in and ravage the remaining. Amen. That's what's happening in our Praise nation. God. You look at all around us. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So your your book started went out in September. Where can people find the book? Uh, right now it's 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 at manenoughtoforgive.com. Manenoughtoforgive.com. And there's a workbook that goes with it for men's study groups and stuff like that. So you can do it on your own or you can do it in a group setting. Uh, so I'm really encouraging churches to do this because it it's a year-long study study that's broken into four parts because it takes time to process this. And and to, right. and to pray, it, 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 you know, it's not a four week and you're done study, but the, it's it's basically four four series, four quarters of study, and it's progressive dealing with this father wound, and it mm. asks all and it brings up all the hard issues that the father of the wound men don't want to confront, right? It makes them wrestle with it and deal with it, and if nothing else. They will have to wrestle and deal with the truth because they know in their heart they have not forgiven the earthly father. Hmm. Now, when they ask the pastor, now when they ask themselves, what is going on in my life? Now they know. Right. Now they know. Why isn't God using me? Why can't my marriage work? Why, why am I addicted to porn? Why am I an alcoholic? Why do I work forever trying to fill this pain and hole of accomplishment? Hmm. That's good. That's what's going on. Right. It, and all this manifests in women just differently. 
you know, they need men's attention. They need men's right. affirmation. That's why they have kids out of wedlock. That's why they just go to the next man. So listen, it's a double whammy, but God put it in my heart to speak to men, help these fatherless boys, mobilize godly men that want to do something of value for the kingdom. Right. And so, yeah, it, it, it's just a great journey. The Lord has me on and, and I love it. And, uh, and we're seeing great. That's great. Yeah, that's great, John. So what do you have in the future? What's what's coming up? Are you just trying to get the book out and keep the, yeah, uh, just, you the know, fathers in the field? The fathers in the field is just, we, we have 10 full-time missionaries knocking on churches doors now. If, if, if you feel your call to full-time ministry, you know, this is not a job, as you know, it's a calling. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I, I, who knows, you know, my little bit of, my little bit of a personality planner is I would love to see a missionary in every state before the Lord takes me home mm. because there's, there's that many churches so far, biblical churches. There's the, the issue is 25 million fatherless children. Sadly, there's more than enough fatherless children to, to get paired up with right. it's the issue of our time. And so Listen, we're, we're, we're now, God is allowing us to rescue a fallous boy a day now, even more. And, uh, you know, hopefully one day it'll be a hundred boys a day. Praise God. Because it's needed. I mean, if you Amen. think about it and a man enough to forgive, there's 25 million fathers children in our nation. 7,000 fathers children attempt suicide a day, a day, and a million and a half fatherless boys children become graduating adulthood and carry that adult wound that that fatherless wound in adulthood wow so the tsunami is on its way in our nation right make no mistake about it this is the second and a half generation of this issue the the black community the inner city was less than 20 percent fatherlessness in 1963 when lbj made the government be the daddy right that it is now 75 percent in the inner city wow you think about 63 to now that change that the the suburban world is 40 percent together we're over 50 percent the delta is 25 percent so if you want to know what our nation looks like Mm. and where it's going look at the inner city when our nation reached 75%, like the inner city, that's what our nation's going to look like. Right. So wow. this is a this is a big issue. And I see why God made it such a high priority in his word. Mm, and and good. He's, he's the angriest at his people for giving lip service. And I believe we're doing that now. We're talking about the issue. Most people know in their heart it's the issue. But I think what Fathers in the Field does, man of forgive, it, it, it allows people now to put their faith into action mm. on this Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, man, that is what a great testimony. What a great story. What a great ministry. Um, all glory to God, brother. Amen. I know that. I know that. Uh, I can tell just by your demeanor that, uh, you're not one of those guys. I've met a lot of guys who take a lot of glory on themselves and, and oh. don't give much to God. That's for sure. I asked you not to talk about me like that. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I, I don't want any. I, I listen. I, Amen. I don't want any. Amen. Amen. I, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I can't believe he he would even use me in ministry, let alone save me. Right. And, uh, you know. So praise God. 
Well, you've got a great story. I can't, uh, can't wait to, uh, I got the book. I can't wait to read the book. Um, and, uh, to, I'll go once it gets on some of the other platforms, we'll give you a good remark on it. And, uh, once we read that, we'll be praying for fathers in the field, man. What a great ministry that is. I mean, that's a, a big undertaking, you know, just yes. like to get the man off the proverbial back row of the church and actually do Christianity, uh, is really our mentality. It's a, it's a big undertaking, but, uh, through God and the power of the Holy spirit, we know that we can, uh, we can do it. So we'll Amen. definitely be praying for you. Um, any word that you want to give our listeners right before we leave? Yeah. I mean, um, I want, I, you know, I've said this before that men are the problem, but men are the answer. And I want to speak to men, men, God made you for a glorious mission oriented purpose. We're here for a reason. Mm. You can be the man God intended you to be through forgiveness and redemption and to really understand that there is more to this life than trying to fill that hole of fatherhood abandonment mm. through work-based performance. You can heal that. I tell people all the time, you may still have a scar, you may still limp, but you can heal that festering wound and you can be the man God intended you to be. That's great. That's great. Well, what a great, great way to leave the podcast, John. I thank you so much for your time and uh, your, your books and your ministry. Um, I hope uh, God puts uh, you, us in each other's paths for uh, some ministry work in the future. And uh, just know that me and Fergoza here at Man Up God's Way will be praying for you. Oh, I, I'll be praying for you guys and just thank you for your heart to help and get the word out and, and uh, love to, love to, talk again so amen we definitely will we'll keep you uh keep you on our uh our email page and uh we'll check out your social media make sure that everybody checks it out as well so we appreciate you and god bless you brother god bless you guys all right take it easy thank you have a great night thank you bye-bye bye-bye You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.